you'll know at least that your idea works and who to sell it to, which is the real two most important things. Business is nothing but 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 product and and an audience. So product, audience, and profit. Yeah. Once you have the profit, you can re-put it into marketing to, to build more of an audience, to build more product, to get more profit, to spend getting money, you know, and that's that's how yeah, we generate yeah. and start things from a point of nothing. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and I am live on the line today with Russell Nolte. Russell, are you there? I am. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Glad to have you here. Russell is coming to us from uh, Los Angeles. And for those of you who don't know, he is a USA Today bestselling author, publisher, and consultant. Runs the small press Wannabe Press and the Complete Creative Academy, um, which helps creatives build better businesses. Now, what I want to start off with is what it is that you're actually known for, what you've done. Before we got on recording, you're telling me some of the books and the Kickstarter campaigns that you've been running. So, Tell us a little bit about what you do and how you do it um, for, uh, for our audience. Sure. So uh, I, I'm best known for my work on Kickstarter and in comics. Uh, so the most popular singular line that we've ever put out is called Cthulhu is Hard to Spell. It is uh, two books, uh, 70 stories over 70 stories and over 140 creators uh, telling stories set in the Lovecraft universe about the gods and monsters themselves. Um, most of my work is about uh, magic, mythology, and monsters. Uh, so that's kind of like the brand that I, that I have. Like all of my stuff has a lot of uh, uh, Lovecraft mythology or Greek, Roman, and Judeo-Christian mythology, Norse mythology, Egyptian mythology. Um, so uh, that is the book that I'm best known for, uh, but uh, the thing that I'm best known for as a creator, not an editor, because I edit that book, uh, I'm not the uh, creator of it, is uh, The Godsverse Chronicles. So The Godsverse Chronicles is two graphic novels and uh, four novels that take place over 13,000 years and sort of tell the story uh, of like if all gods were real, but they were just kind of dicks. Uh, so it's uh, women rising up and taking control of their destiny, fighting against the gods and fighting against what uh, fate has in store for them. Uh, the One of the books is called Katrina Hates the Dead. That book broke my career open. And then uh, Pixie Dust really sort of solidified it that uh, I was a known commodity in at least the independent creator space. Uh, the most beloved book that I've ever done is sitting back there as well, though. It's called Ichabod Jones' Monster Hunter. It has the most devoted fan base. It's about a mental patient that escapes from an asylum and becomes a monster hunter during the apocalypse, but doesn't know if he's killing monsters, humans, or it's all in his head the whole time. 
Uh, so we have now done 10 issues. Uh, four of, uh, five of them are out officially. We did a Kickstarter and we included the sixth in, uh, in, in an add-on last year. Uh, but officially, uh, there's uh, this graphic novel and then a fifth, uh, fifth issue out. And uh, we had such a huge... Uh, 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 following of the book that when I went to uh, that when I went to um, uh, uh, turf it, so it was supposed to go out of print last year, people rose up in uh, revolt and they said that uh, they demanded more. And so I told them that if we could do a Kickstarter to reprint the first volume and pay for the fifth issue, I would then uh, continue Ichabod to do at least three volumes. And so we raised over $16,000 last year for that book and uh, it is back in print and we are about a little less than halfway done with the third volume with the second volume coming to Kickstarter in September. Nice. So you have, um, you, you mentioned before we got on the call that you Kickstarter a lot of your projects and raise a lot of money for your books and I assume that's, that's a very different model than going the traditional publishing route. You know, talk a little bit about that and sort of like your success in that space. Sure. So, um, Guanabe Price is a direct-to-consumer company. We uh, don't do any uh, 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 bookstores. I mean, I won't say any. We do some bookstores, um, but only on a one-to-one -one basis. We don't deal with uh, with with Diamond or or Ingram or anything, except for a print-on-demand stuff uh, comes from Ingram, and then we're on like Amazon and such. And our eBooks are on Amazon. But as far as our hardcovers and and our big print runs, especially with comics, um, we are direct to consumer, which means that we do all of our sales in person at conventions, uh, on uh, on Kickstarter and on our website. Uh, so. It is a uh, much different model than uh, the customer being the bookstore. The customer is the actual customer. Uh, and one of the ways that we do that is through Kickstarter. So in Kickstarter, we raise funds to uh, pre-order our books and print them and hopefully pay for production costs. And then uh, the books take about three, week, three months to manufacture and then they come to me and I ship them out and I start the process all over again. But every book gets shipped by me or someone on my team. Um, one, one series we did uh, have another company doing the shipping, but generally it's done all by me. Uh, my team helps somewhat, but really it's like 95% yeah. me. And uh, uh, we've built a nice little audience that really loves our books and sort of the weird, uh, weird fantasy thrillery kind of stuff that we do. Uh, but it's really gratifying because every time that someone buys a book, we know that it's already been a sale. When you're selling to bookstores, you know, they are buying on speculation that they can sell it. But for me, every time I make a sale, uh, I know that, that, those, that that's going to be a book that is uh, actually going into someone's hand and hopefully they're going to read it. That's really awesome. So, so that's the, uh, the one aspect of your business is the publishing and the writing and the Kickstarter stuff. And then you also have the Creative Academy, which teaches other creatives how to do sort of similar things that you do or what is what tell me a little bit about the creative academy yeah so the complete creative is um a the nonfiction arm of wannabe press so for years people have been asking me what uh how to build their own career and i've been keeping a blog and a podcast and interviewing people and sharing my thoughts about the process and it really kind of solidified for me after the release of my book um how to build your creative career which launched the complete creative. Before then, I was doing it kind of disparately. I was doing phone calls with people and doing talks, and there was no real place to sort of be the the the, the hub of my uh, of my creative 
uh, information uh, and info sort of information about how to build your career. So at the end of 2017, I took that book, How to Build Your Creative Career, and a bunch of my old blog posts and my old, um, my old podcast, The Business of Art, and I opened The Complete Creative, which is a, uh, uh, has, I believe, nine courses now on Kickstarter and writing novels and a bunch of free courses and a bunch of epic blog posts about building your audience and Kickstarter and running virtual summits and basically all of the stuff that I've learned in my career. It's sort of an unbroken chain of 10 years of my creative journey, just, uh, which, uh, which is uh, meant to help people build their own career. And about 90 to 95% of everything is free. Uh, I have uh, free audience building courses. I have free uh, business building courses, free Kickstarter courses. And then uh, I do one-on-one consulting and I do uh, uh, paid courses about audience building and Facebook ads and such for people that are, uh, that like really want to take their career to the next level quickly. Awesome. So if you don't mind my asking, what does your business's revenue mix look like between the Complete Creative and Wannabe Press? Is it like 50-50 or is one of them bigger than the other? It really is about 50-50. It's crazy uh, because the Complete Creative is much smaller than Wannabe Press. So even though our email list of Wannabe Press is about 25,000 people, it does uh, the same amount of business as the Complete Creative, which has a, an email list, well, now of about 2,500 people, but last year is about 1,500 people. And really, that is done by a list that most of that money is made by a list of about 300 people, if you can believe it. 300, 300 yeah, people yeah. who it's, actually buy. They really like and, what you're doing. Yeah, who, who spend hundreds, thousands of dollars on our marketing services every year. So yeah, it's, they say uh, you, can, you can build a huge business with 1,000 true fans, and you're almost there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting because I, I mean, not to go down a rabbit hole of maybe we should go down a rabbit hole of this thousand true fans thing, because like, I have a big problem with it. Absolutely. Um, tell me, tell me about it. Okay. So the, the thing that most people get away, I don't think it's what Kevin Kelly was thinking of when he wrote this, but the, what most people get away is, uh, from that is, oh, if I just meet a thousand people, then that's going to be my thousand true fans. But in reality, you have to meet so many tens of thousands of people to get that thousand true fans that um, you end up building quite a big business to find a thousand true fans. Now, is that always yeah. the case? It's not always the case, but you know, uh, if I just did this, I just released an uh, article on my website I think last week or maybe coming next week, but it was about, um, by the time this goes live, I'm sure it will be there, but it was about, um, about how many people you have to meet to have a thousand true fans. This was specifically about comics and the comics industry is about one thirty seventh the size of the overall book industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in or- so you can assume that one of every 37 people that you meet who likes books is going to be a fan of comics, theoretically. Like that's like if you have yeah, a big yeah. enough, if you have a big enough, big uh, enough pool. Like right, if, you have a, if, if you have a bell curve distribution, then every thirty-seven you meet who who are book fans are also comic book fans, uh, and then, uh, but that's not everybody. So you have to then say, okay, how many people in the country or in the world are uh, are book fans compared to the overall amount of people? And so doing some uh, light digging on Facebook, uh, uh, 
uh, a business manager. There's about 600 million people who, uh, who uh, 620 or 630 million, it was just about a third of the overall Facebook audience likes reading books or some activity related to novels. Uh, and so you're looking at about one in three people you meet are going to like books. And one of every 37 of those are going to like comic comics, books, which means you pretty much have to look at, to have to talk to or reach out to 3.7 million people to find a thousand true fans. Now you, we're not like, that's what targeting is all about, right? So you're, you're targeting so you don't have to just literally contact every single human being in the entire country. You can actually like hone in on just comic book fans. You can go to conventions. You can buy ads in places that, that, uh, that are uh, specifically tailored to those people. But generally, if you just walked out and threw a rock, one in three <laughs> times you would hit a comic book fan and one in every... Or one in three times you hit a book fan, and one yeah, in book every fan, and then 90, one of every hundred times you 100, would hit yeah, a comic so. book fan. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's not just as you, easy you'd as probably like be in jail before people. you hit a hundred and twenty people with a rock, though. Right. Exactly. You would definitely be in jail there, and we don't want to send you to jail. But that's <laughs> that's sort of uh, uh, you know. So I've gone to hundreds of conventions. I've done hundreds of. I've done dozen. I've done almost a dozen Kickstarters. I've, I've released tons of books. I've met just, I've given away tens of thousands of copies of my book. And now I'm sort of in a place where like, I feel like we're like, I can move to the next level and like really have those like thousand true fans or, 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 or a bunch of fans or whoever many it is that will buy my stuff um, uh, uh, religiously. And, uh, but that's very, like that took 10 years to yeah, yeah, build one of the that things people. One of the things we talk about all the time on this show is that people vastly overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and vastly underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 if you'll consistently put work in over that time period. Um, and yeah, I, your point's well taken, right? That, uh, you know, a thousand true fans is probably exactly that. You're looking for those people inside of the huge room, realm of people that uh, um, are your potential audience. Um, to find people that actually love you and connect with you. And it's, it's something that uh, we talk about pretty regularly with, uh, um, with lots of business owners in my business is like, hey, you're, you're um, you know, what, what, what's the way to say this? When I work with clients, a lot of times clients are like, I have this problem with competition, right? The, this competition is like, they'd offer the same thing that I do in, in a different way or whatever. And generally speaking, I'm like, they're, they're not your competition because the it your uniqueness right your story and your perspective that you bring to your business is going to connect with someone different than someone else right someone who's going to be a fan of you isn't going to be a fan of someone um of, of someone else right so like big names in the industry like you know tony robbins for instance everyone knows tony robbins not everyone loves tony robbins style right <laughs> right this is um, so that is a great example of what i i i bring this to stephen king more in my like creative industry yeah. um but Stephen King sells a few million books every time, but like literally there are billions of people who read books and he has access to all the people that read books pretty much in the entire world, like at least have access to somehow to read Stephen King. And he's only selling about one of every thousand literate people in the world. So yeah, yeah. I don't read Stephen King. I don't like his style of, of novels. Right. I, uh, I, I always novels. talk about how I'm not a big fan of J.R. George R. R. Martin. Like I can respect the, uh, artistry of what he does, but it just does not resonate with me. And, but there are millions of people who do resonate with him. 
And one thing that uh, you're going to find when you're on your path to a thousand true fans is you're going to find for every one true fan, you'll find three to five casual fans who will buy some of your stuff and will buy and will try you out and maybe coming back a year or next year. And so it's not just like, oh, if I just have a thousand people who will buy my books, I'll have a hundred thousand person business because um, you're going to find casual fans. You're going to find people who read your work once and don't like it. You're going to find so many other people when you're on that path for every meeting that you have. So when I go to conventions, so we talked about, uh, we talked a little bit earlier uh, before we were on camera about, uh, about conventions and how I do about 20 to 30 conventions a year. We didn't talk about is I do uh, 10 or 12 at least panels every year at these shows. Um, and I probably do about 20 speaking engagements across the, the, the year at the at different conventions and places. And it's very interesting because I'm a very intentionally specific personality. Uh, I have learned how to ma- uh, 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 maximize the things that people like about me and downplay the things people don't like so that when I'm on a podcast like this or when I'm on a, uh, or when I'm on a panel, the right person is going to have their ears perk up and say, yes, I want to hear about that. Uh, but for every 10 people in that panel room, uh, about if there's five people on a panel, roughly uh, two will go to me and two will go to the next person and the next person, the next person, the next person, because the way that we talk and the experiences that we have resonated with them uh, and, 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 and or it turned them completely off and they resonated with somebody else because they're a different place on their journey. And they have a different personality of how to talk to somebody. And every single person has had a different experience. You know, I am very unique in the fact that I, uh, I'm an USA Today bestselling author, but most of my sales come from conventions and Kickstarter, which is wholly different than any other author that I've ever met, really. Yeah, most yeah. Of them I've never are even doing- heard of anyone doing that other than, well, you. <laughs> yeah. And so... Uh, one, so it, it would take somebody who like had a very weird uh, way to make money for them to really resonate with like the thing that I said, or, or, or one thing that I talk to people about Kickstarter is, you know, uh, I, I just did a talk uh, for a Facebook group a couple months ago about like how you can use Kickstarter to basically break even on your production costs for your novel. And then you can go into your novel launch, uh, basically like with, uh, w- with, your, with your book already paid for. And somebody came to me and said, you know, uh, I thought you were crazy, but then I thought about it and I did it and I made the most I've ever made in a single day uh, at any of my books. And we ended up breaking even on the cost of the book to produce. And now I went into the launch, like all of this extra money that I could spend on marketing, knowing that people did like my book. And so uh, that's just a very odd way to think about the world. And I understand that. But I also understand that some people... (laughs) are going to see that 500 other gurus out there in the book space. And there are a lot, uh, there are just so many people who like try and like talk to authors um, that like the thing that differentiates me is like the thing that, 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 that makes me unique and makes me someone that will attract, that attracts people because it is different from the other 500 people who are all looking to, to, to feel or think or, or the same way. Um, and it works. And someone who's tried a bunch of other stuff will then uh, theoretically uh, 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 like my stuff if it, if it and, and they'll be willing to try it. And if it works for them, they'll keep following me down that rabbit hole. Uh, so I take a very, because the speaking is a ancillary part of my business, uh, 
um, I'm able to do it in a way that most people don't uh, think about or aren't able to do it. Because uh, I'm just able to speak whatever the heck I want to because my model is built upon, this is my success. You can literally go and objectively look at how successful I've been. Uh, and then uh, if you like that, this is how I did it. And if you don't want to do that same thing, I don't- Brilliant. Yeah, I don't care if, it, if, if you don't want to do it that way. I'm just telling you by literal objective standards, that is uh, how I did it. Like that is what I've done and this is how I've done it. And if you'd like to so, do that same thing. So if you don't mind, I want to I wanna pick your brain just a little bit because my wife is not in the graphic novel space, but she has a whole series of children's books that she's written. Right, um, and they would—they're written for the uh, the toddler age group, the, the age group where parents read the little board books to the children. Mm -hmm. um, and she's got a couple of that are a little higher, that are more along the lines of like the Susian style um, books. And we have all the text for them, right? And they're all written. And we've been looking at a, what is our next step? Like, we need to find an illustrator, and we need to probably do something with a Kickstarter. Um, to get them, you know, published or whatnot to like do whatever the next step is. But like, that's not our world, right? And it sounds like it's your world. What are some of like, if someone, if someone was talking to you, what would the, your recommendations be for, for someone who's in that situation? Uh, so you should definitely look at my friend, Sherry Kent. Uh, sorry, Sherry Fink, uh, who does uh, children's books. And she's like amazing at doing like self-published children's books. But um, the main thing that you're looking for, this goes for literally any book. So I'm going to make this as, as, as specific to you, but as broad as I possibly can. Absolutely. Okay, so you have the text written. Um, uh, uh, I'm going to go back and assume you don't have the text written for a second. And the thing that you're going to do, if you, if, whether you have the text written and no artist, or you don't have text written and you're just looking for, uh, is you, can, you go on Amazon. Uh, and you type in children's books or fantasy or science fiction or whatever your category is, top 100, and you look at the top 100 books that are in that category. You are specifically looking for tone and style of the art, um, but uh, you need to know specifically if, uh, what age group you're looking for. Is it a read to or reader book? Um, uh, what you're trying to get, what, what you're trying to get out of that uh, interaction, whether it's uh, what lesson you're trying to do, um, what you're trying to teach. Like, this is really important for kids' books and even first, first reader books is you need to know this is a book to read to somebody at X grade or X age level that will teach them Y thing. And this is what the whole series is about. And this is what uh, we are, uh, th this is what we're trying, this is the theme we're trying to tell. And these are the other people who are making this other thing. Now, for you specifically, is you are looking for the art style that you are, that, that like most of these people are using, that is attractive to you. So there are all sorts of art styles in kids' books. There's everything from Dr. Seuss to The Hungry Caterpillar, uh, to my friend Chris Iliopoulos, to, uh, to uh, Grizz Grimley, to like literally any, any art style uh, you can see is popular, but you don't know necessarily what happened, what's popular right now and uh, what, what sort of trends are going on. And so you need to do that. I mean, should have been doing it for maybe like the last year, but let's say you're doing it now and need to do it for a couple of weeks every day because you, things change. 
things move and you'll start seeing what is the top, what stays at the top. Now you can go back and do work on the uh, top uh, children's books, New York Times author, uh, like the, the top books for New York Times and USA Today. They come out once a week and you can look at what is the most popular kids book, uh, YA book, et cetera, et cetera, other thing. Now, this is your, there's a big problem here uh, because what, you're sh what is showing up now is what people were making two years ago. So if you're trying yeah. to get a publishing deal, um, you are, uh, this is a bad idea because the, the trends in the market have now been saturated. If you're trying to do a kid's book uh, that, or a self-published book, this is a lot more useful because now you can see what's happening now. And if you can get something up in six to eight weeks, awesome. Um, but for your experience, if you're going back years and doing this, this longitudinal data uh, survey, you can see what trends, what art styles, what stuff, what page length has been popular for years. And what yeah, I'm yeah. looking for is the data and the stuff that like will come back around. I'm not looking for like the trend that came and went in like a year. Uh, I'm looking for the ones that have been around for a long time because my plan is to sell these books for 10 years or more. Um, so you watch, one thing you'll see in art style is like there are so many different levels of what a professional art style looks like. It's mind boggling. Yeah, um, yeah. What, what really matters is what is going to resonate with you and what you think is going to resonate with your audience. So now you are have to build an audience from that after that, which we can talk about if you want to. But the places to find art uh, artists are uh, there's a lot of Facebook groups. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you can literally open up any book that you like and look at who the artist is of the book and then contact them. Um, you, can, you can find people who you know who do children's books and see if they have any recommendations. Usually if you contact that artist and they aren't available, they will at least tell you who they think could work or if you don't fit their art style, like the, if, if, if the page rate is too high, they will give you some names of other people who like are sort of in their space. Um, but you, you really want to find the art style that resonates with you. And, and this is really tough because most people just settle on the first artist who was in their budget and will do it. But um, I spend 80 to 90% of my time finding an artist or finding a collaborator, whether it's an editor or a proofreader or whoever it is. I spend so much time um, figuring that part out because that is the key. The key is who's going to take my work and make it better. My editor yeah. then finds my work and makes it better. My proofreader finds her work and then makes it better. My artist takes my words and makes them art that is that that works. And it can't just be what the art style you resonate with, but it has to be the art style that you resonate with that also resonates enhances with the story. The right. That enhances the story. It doesn't just like make the story. Now there's all sorts of ways that you can make a kid's book. You could also make the art, you can make the art um, and then put the text on top of the art. You can take the art and make it a separate page next to the art. Um, you can take the art and crop it and letterbox it and then put the art, the, the, the words on the top and bottom. You can put the, you can not do any, you can put the words on the actual page and like, and then things could open up and like, it could be a pop-up book. There's just so many ways that that can happen um, that you really have to spend a lot of time figuring out what the art style is you want and who you can find. There is almost always somebody that can that has a similar art style uh, to someone who is really really popular. Um, it doesn't have to be a perfect mimic. It shouldn't be a perfect mimic. It should be their own art style. 
Um, but you, you're looking for someone who's like, A, accomplished something, had a book out that was popular. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and so you know it will get finished and can be with you for the long term because you want somebody who's not just going to come so in one book and when, be done. So when you hire artists, do you generally hire artists as like, I hire you, you do the art and that's the end of the transaction? Or do you hire someone where it's like, hey, you do this and they have like a, an equity stake in the profits of the book? How does, how does that generally I work? I hate doing royalty statements. So I pay out all of my artists um, from the moment, uh, except for on the anthologies where people do have royalties. And I only have two royalty statements that I have to do every, every year. And they are friggin' nightmares every single time. Like I hate them so much. Uh, so <laughs> I want to pay people out for their work. I also am very confident that over time, my, it's going to be much more beneficial to me to uh, have the book the, the, the money from the book. Now, um, because I'm pretty popular in comics now, I have collaborators who have come to me and asked me to collaborate on their idea or their project, and I'm happy to do that. Um, but I, if it's my project and I am going out with it and I am hiring the artist, I am then uh, going to pay them out um, and, and then I will own it outright. And it will suck for me at the beginning, um, but you know, over 10 years, that Ichabod book behind you has made me about $100,000, which is close to 10x return on the cost that it costs to make it. Uh, so it sucked at the beginning, but then I'd never have to worry about it again. And I can price it out whatever I want and not have to worry about like how much I owe an artist or somebody else. That's really awesome. So when it comes to um, the actual like audience building for a book and like getting into Kickstarter, are you generally starting with a completed product like you have the art done you have everything done and you go to market with that or are you starting earlier in the process when you go to something like a kickstarter uh, well there's two questions in there which you want me to cover first how to build the audience or how to do the kickstarter that's i i, I didn't know they were separate i sort of figured you you used kickstarter to build an audience so so school no, that's me. that's a that's a that's an absolute fallacy uh, an audience okay. has to be built before the kickstarter starts or at least the nascent stages of an audience has to be built when it starts so um i'll take you through the process that i use uh one it's it, i don't know what the name of it is it, the it's like 110 100 1000 that's like basically the numbers that uh that, that i that i work on um when i build audiences with people so one means you have to find one human being who is perfectly suited to buy your book or your project. I'm going to go with book because we are talking about children's books. Yeah, you can use book. this for any, any product that you're trying to make or any service. So uh, the, uh, the, the key to finding somebody who is in your audience is to find somebody who likes you, uh, who already likes you, but not enough to lie to you. So these, this means no parents, no children, no immediate family, um, no, uh, no, um, no, like, uh, best friends, no old lovers, uh, people who, you know, but not enough to lie to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the best example that I have is I've got friends. I'm almost at 20 years from high school. I've got friends that I don't talk to very much, um, that, but like I knew them in high school and so, but they're still friends with me and they still interact with me on Facebook and, uh, and, but like, we don't have, like we're not talking every day, but they like me. Uh, they know me and they like me and they trust me. And like they engage a lot and they seem to like the things that I say. So that's the first thing. You're looking for one human who is uh, a hyper reactor person who really likes the things that you post related to what you're going to sell. 
So it doesn't matter if you post a lot of yarn pictures and like they do, unless you're making something like yarn, uh, crochet patterns or something. Uh, you are looking for a person who, uh, who, 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 uh, when you post something about children's books, uh, is a expectant mother or they had kids or whatever it is, like they really, 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 really like the things you post and the way you talk about it as well. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I'm assuming that if you're making, most people that have, that make children's books have kids. I'm not saying it's all yeah, of yeah. them, but we most have of, four them, of them. Yes. So most, mo uh, interestingly, Sherry Fink, I don't, had, doesn't have any children, but uh, uh, who we talked about a little bit earlier, as far as I know. Um, but uh, she, uh, but uh, most people have some uh, experience with kids and uh, when they, and they write about parenting and uh, people resonate with that. Someone hyper engages and hyper listens and hyper like comments on every post even and you're and you're looking for the person who posts everything and be and you, you say I don't understand like what the are you, why like why do you keep commenting I never comment I, we, we did not have a close relationship before but somehow you are like really 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 engaged with all the things that I'm talking about um, I see you're smiling so I'm gonna assume that you kind of have a picture of who that is in your head right yeah, yeah, I know who that would be for my wife too. Like, cause you know, she's got people that that follow the stuff that she does. She has a, a a YouTube channel that she follows around our family and the kind of like homeschool stuff that she does and whatnot. Right. Okay. Cool. So you have that stuff, and now your job is to go to them and ask them if they can do uh, if if you can talk to them for thirty minutes because you're trying to launch a product and you're trying to get to know them more and make sure that it's like a good product and like make sure it would like resonate with them. And you're basically trying to figure out, uh, most people focus this conversation on demographic information, uh, which is great, I guess, for somebody and for Facebook ads, maybe. Um, but your real goal is to find the spirit of uh, the, that kind of person. And so uh, when you look at yeah, the, the psychographic the, information, yes, psychographic information. So this would be uh, traits, places that they like to frequent. If you look at our website, we have a little a bee called Melissa the wannabe. Uh, she's in that painting behind me. She's, uh, she's everything that a good wannabe press uh, a fan would be. She's rebellious and uh, anti-authority and creative and artistic and uh, sarcastic and no nonsense and practical. And, you know, she went to punk clubs back when she was a kid and like, she's probably got a bunch of tattoos and, uh, and uh, she just like has this kind of like punk rock, rock spirit. And so um, that uh, is the psychographic information for my, for your uh for your you're trying to build this model out and you start with one person and it's really important that you do not just send them a survey you actually communicate with them uh, because people hate answering surveys but they love talking about themselves and you're trying to figure out what sort of makes them tick but also um what they like about you what resonates them about you, where else they hang out, and all of this kind of stuff that like will help you later. The most important part though is sort of the psychographic information of what they're about and uh, what it is about you that they like the most. So people tend to like that I like talk from the hip and I give practical advice, like I'm no nonsense, I'm a straight shooter, and like, uh, and like I, I, I generally like am very anti how things are and anti-authority. So like the things that make them Melissa tend to also make up the things that people like about me when I, when I talk, but everybody is different. I've got friends that are very motivational and, or very inspirational or very uh, elegant. And, uh, and those people are, uh, have a different resonance with them. With, uh, and so 
Then you go from one and guess what you do next to get to 10. You talk to nine more. You do. It's exactly it. Now I use one, 10, a hundred, a thousand, but like it might be five, it might be six, it might be, but 10 is a good number because then you're going to see what, what is the same between all of these people what is different, where they hang out with generally the most, the brands they associate with the best, and what the commonalities are from all of these people. And that's when you can go into Facebook audience insights and start looking, or start looking at Facebook groups and start looking at all of these other places, but we are not scaling yet. We wanna maybe join some of these groups in some of these places, but now we have to pre-validate our idea. So pre-validating our idea means we are going to take something like a children's book, uh, and we're going to try and design the messaging based upon what the people said they liked about you so that five of those 10 people will buy it. Now, you've already made someone down the funnel, right? This person now knows, likes, trusts, and theoretically should be ready to buy from you if you give them the right product, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, now the goal is to make sure that the product that you're offering is going to resonate with those people. So that means uh, finding a few artists maybe and like seeing which one they resonate with most, uh, uh, which of the, sending them a couple of stories or themes and which one's gonna resonate with them most. Um, just making sure you're on the right path and then setting up nothing fancy, a PayPal link, uh, 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 something so that they can spend some amount of money, $5, $10, $20, $1, doesn't matter, to make sure that they're going to buy. The less money that they have to spend, the more of them you have to convince to buy. So like if it's a dollar, you really want 10 of 10 people if they're in your perfect audience to buy, right? And you might find that a couple of them really aren't in your perfect audience in that first 10 and that's okay. That again, narrows down to the people that are going to be uh, uh, most likely to buy from you. Okay, so now we have the perfect person a product that you know is sellable because you sold it five times. And now your goal is to, if you've done this right, to find uh, a bunch more people that are like this person. Now, again, we're not putting a bunch of money in yet because we've only got 10 people. That's freaking crazy. Please do yeah. not start spending a ton of money now. What you're trying to do is build a system that turns people from someone who does not know you at all to someone who knows you likes you, trusts you, and then will buy from you. The simple parts of a funnel, right? Yeah, yeah. So now you're going into these Facebook groups and going into these places, joining the community. Don't be a dick and just post your buy links or something, but like, like sending them to being like, hey, I have a free book I can give you. Maybe you have to invest in one of the books, the book that like most people liked in that first 10. I'm um, shouldn't still be expensive, maybe $500 to get the art for that book. Um, and you know, I'm gonna send you a free ebook and whatever you have to do, your goal is to find now a, to build out the funnel so that the, the, you, you have a reputable, repeatable system that will turn a random person into a buyer consistently and that you have the right people in that funnel. Uh, and, that the, and that the product has a profit margin that you can then use for marketing. Okay, now we've got a hundred people. You know what next? You know what we do next? Now I would imagine you start getting into the scaling, right? Using some of the money you use to sell those and get some people to uh, to buy from. Close. This is when we use Kickstarter to validate our idea. We have not actually validated the idea. We've pre-validated it and started a concept. Uh, but the thing that we're making 
is like not really the product we're trying to make. So let's, I use a bike a lot. So like maybe we, maybe we made a seat for a bike, but we really want to make is the bike. Uh, so yeah. we've now created a product that is profitable to get kickstand. We've made a kickstand or we've made a seat that is really real or handlebars that are really cool. And now, now we're going to take our bigger idea, our, our real idea. Uh, maybe you want to do five books or a line of books, or maybe you want to take those books you've been printing POD and make a hardcover of them. I don't know. But whatever it is, we're now going to Kickstarter. We've already got our audience, our messaging, what they like, how to, how to make a repetitive, repeatable process that, that will turn the random people into a rabid fan. And then we know there's a profit margin. So this should be easy. Like, like, like we should easily be able to bring a bunch of people that are already in our audience to, to be able to get ads to bring in a bunch more people so that we can get our big product. Because now we've made, we've made some money on that profit margin. So we have for ads and marketing and prototyping and all of those things. And now our goal is to take that and validate the real product through scale. And we are, uh, you, you're not going to do a ton of this yet. You're not going to, it's like spending $50,000 to get ads, but you're spending some part of your profit margin to make sure that you're in front of the right people, uh, that you're partnering with the right, making the right joint partnerships, that your product page looks great, that it's messaged properly. Um, and then if you bring a hundred people, I, I mostly have a, I just ran the numbers, something like a 46.5% of my, of my Kickstarters come from Kickstarter and about 50, whatever the 54% come from me. So if I'm bringing one person, Kickstarter should bring one person theoretically as well who found them on their platform. So if I bring a hundred, I should be able to get a hundred from Kickstarter. And now I know for a fact exactly who bought for how much money. So if I had now 200 people, I've seen their pledges, I know how much they did. I know who was lying to me or at least didn't buy. And I can say, uh, why didn't you buy? No, I'm not, not pressure. I just want to know like for the future, like what was it that didn't resonate with you? Um, you don't want to do this during the campaign because that's move. Uh, you make them feel guilty. You want to do this like a month or two after the campaign ends, just being like, hey, I'm doing my moratorium on like why you didn't buy. I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, like this is not pressure. I'm not trying to like to convince you to buy. But like, I really thought this was made for you. Like, mm -hmm. in fact, you were part of the, 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 the process to like design this. So like, what, what was it? Was it my money thing? Was it just like, was I totally wrong? Uh, you know, did your needs change? Like what the thing is. Um, and now, theoretically, we've got a product that we can use all of those email addresses to build a lookalike audience. You've got the seeds of a mailing list. You've got the seeds of a Facebook page or a Facebook group or whatever it is. And now that you have actually validated the concept and seen that it's profitable, or at least that it could be profitable, um, now is the time you can drop money in and scale. You're not going to do that, obviously, until you get the books in from port or wherever, um, because then you can sell mm -hmm. them. But once the books are out to the Kickstarter backers and you build your store MV site or your, 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 your Shopify site, then you can take all of those people, all of that information you've just gathered and build a business from it because up until this point it's kind yeah, of been start actually selling selling the product right exactly like you don't you, you you have the validation part of a business but you don't like until you can actually make money consistently and bring it in and use that money as cash flow to pay other people to like build the business and grow it you don't really have a like 
business in the traditional sense. You've got an idea, but uh, by using those sort of pieces in that order, you then are spending money at you're spending very little money, but a lot of time at the beginning. Uh, and once you get it right by doing the unscalable thing, then uh, you are uh, you are still spending very little money to pre-validate an idea, and even very little money to validate the idea. Uh, and then once you have the idea, and you're like, yes. This is, as, this is as successful, less successful, or more successful than I thought. You can then do, figure out a convention plan or an ad plan or a marketing plan or whatever it is. And you'll already be doing like the, the once you have the, the budgetary number, then you can start being like, this is how much I can spend on advertising or marketing. And I can expect this amount from there. It's hard because Kickstarter is very forgiving and human, regular human beings are not very forgiving. Uh, so you have to do some work. It won't be as profitable uh, as regular people, but you'll know at least that your idea works and who to sell it to, which is the real two most important things. Business is nothing but, 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 but product and, and an audience. So product, audience, and profit. Yeah. Once you have the profit, you can re-put it into marketing to, to build more of an audience, to build more product, to get more profit, to spend getting money, you know, and that's, that's how yeah, we generate yeah. and start things from a point of nothing. A quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. Yeah, so for for our audience who is listening, that was absolutely brilliant breakdown of how you can take go from nowhere to having an idea and getting it pre-validated and validated into the market and actually turning that into a business. Thank you so much for just sort of going through that for me because I know that's, you know, it's one of the things that my wife and I have been looking at um, you know, because most of my business stuff is in the services space, which is very different than, you know, building a creative book and getting that out to the market. But it's it's interesting to me after hearing you go through that, it's the same process we go through. We just don't use Kickstarter to do the validation, right? We right. do we do some other other things. But it's a it's an interesting way to uh, to think about like you're following the same business practices when you're talking about I want to put out a children's book that we would for anything else that we're building, um, which is fascinating. Yeah, I mean it's 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 it's. 
I find that I have more in common with people at my success level across industries than I do with people who are in my own industry at a lower success level because the words that I use are very easily understood by someone who's doing services or doing or running a, 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 a product in the baby space or like making a cakes or yeah, whatever yeah, it physical is. Physical products. Like right. Yeah. They're almost all, they're very similar. And while like you would probably in the services or course space, like put up a landing page and then like drive, drive traffic to that landing page to try and make a, to try and validate. I am just mm -hmm. doing it through Kickstarter or Indiegogo or some other ways. But a lot of the things yeah. I learned from, uh, from the uh, entrepreneurship space, things like uh, when you want to figure out what the product is, you can just put five or 10 or 20 different, uh, different marketing copy up. Uh, and run them against each other and a very low cost engagement ad and see what gets the most. You can use, yeah. do the same thing with images. You can do, so all of that yeah. stuff. We do, we do all that rapid testing for all of our products, right? Where we'll go through and spend a couple of dollars a day on, you know, 15 different images and see which one works the best and do the same thing with headline copy and body copy and whatnot. So it's the same process. You're just applying it to, uh, to creative products, which is. Absolutely. Uh, I am literally just this morning set a, uh, I have a book series that I'm going to, that I'm starting to run Facebook ads to the God's Verse Chronicles book series, we've never really run ads to before, but I just set up 15 different dynamic creative ads, um, each with 10 ads in them, uh, and five different pieces of copy, and uh, five different headlines, and I'm just running literally like a bunch of, uh, I'm running basically like 16 or 17 different uh, campaigns uh, across from each other to see which one, because I'm doing this from the very beginning. You don't want to be like, like, like uh, I wouldn't do this if I knew what I was like, what worked, but for now I'm literally just taking as many ad images and ad pieces of copy that I can find and testing them against each other to find out what works the best. And it's no yeah, different yeah. than, uh, than, and instead of using, you know, the, 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 the general text of what's in an, uh, an ad campaign, uh, I'm using a blurb from my book or I'm using a, 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 an excerpt from my book as the same means of testing, how you would test five or six, five different or 10 different kinds of uh, ad copy against each other. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating to me because it, it reminds me one of the one of the things that I've learned over, you know, 10 or 15 years in business now is that the grass is never greener, right? There's, you know, there might be other things that you might want to try or do that you might have a different passion for. But the reality is, is like, it's not, if you're going to change business or change directions or do something, it should never be because you think it's going to be different over there, right? Because the, the process is the same. The thing right. that you're doing is the same in no matter what industry you're in um, or what it is that you're delivering to customers, right? You're always going to go through that process of, you know, taking people through that no like trust funnel. And you're going to go through that process of, you know, validating an idea and making sure that it actually sells. Like there's, there's no shortcut to success in business, no matter what it is. You're going to have to go through that process no matter what. Yeah, um, the big difference and, is that for a physical good product, you want a 10x profit margin. And for a digital good product, you could have as little as a 3x profit margin to still look profitable. But if you're doing anything in the digital space uh, and anything in the physical space, whether it's books or lipstick or anything, you want to make sure that your ad costs 
uh, and add in production costs are one tenth of your total profit. Otherwise, there's no way to like really no way to scale uh, that. So that is the one difference. A lot of people try to use the same three x profit margin that uh, a lot of people use in digital goods, as I as as uh, mm-hmm. in physical goods, and they end up getting wiped out because uh, it's just it, it's a it's it's a much more expensive game. You've got to pay pay for warehousing and storage and shipping plus the cost of the good. Um, and if you're distributing through, through, uh, through, uh, Barnes and Noble or something, then you've got to pay 50 to 60% to Barnes and Noble. It's just, it's a much uh, more, uh, 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 intensive process. Um, but the advantage is that at the end of the day, they have a tactile thing that they can touch. So just off the top of your head, do you happen to know what like your cost of customer acquisition per book sale is from a cold audience to someone who's going to pick up your book and try it, try it out? So uh the cost of all production is three dollars uh because i uh uh, so the cost of book production and general other production i try to keep around three dollars uh and 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 printing and and getting it to my hands for uh, somewhere between three and five dollars and then i spend about five dollars uh, more on uh, getting the uh, the customer into my funnel physically. I don't do many ads at all, so uh, I don't know that physical. But I do know that for every thirty dollars we make, I spend about ten dollars. Now this is a three to one profit margin, and you're like hypocrite, right? I know, but uh, uh, because we are direct to customer, we have a little bit uh, more wiggle room. You have a little bit more, yeah. You have more space to play. Absolutely. So my goal. Um, is if I can spend $10 on acquisition, on, on, on making the product and, and acquisition, that gives me $10 or so to reinvest into new books. And then- $10 to uh, feed your family with. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we run about a, across all of my companies, a 22% profit margin every year. Uh, so uh, that is, uh, that, that's, that's uh, no matter what I do, I, 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 it's just, and partialized just because physical goods a ridiculously expensive business to get into. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, and it's, it, it's right in line with something that we've talked about with a lot of businesses on here that you're, you're on the show that, that most businesses are targeting a 25 to 32% profit margin, right? Um, and you, all, even your big businesses like Apple and Google and whatnot are, are looking to target a, a, a margin that's right around that 30%, right? Um, and to pay for everything that you're doing. Um, and it's when you're younger and smaller, right, you have, you don't have as many efficiencies. So it's harder to hit those, uh, hit the 30% numbers and you're going to be lower down in there. And if you can figure out how to run your business on the, you know, low to mid 20% profit margin, you can, uh, you can grow a really big business over time. Yeah, absolutely. And you, 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 the many, you know, the number that you can help the numbers. So for instance, last year, I think two or three years ago, we were down at 15% or 12% or something. And my goal was to double profit margin. And that meant cutting expenses and like figuring out, like cutting out a lot of the inefficiencies that we used over time. And I was able yeah. to basically double profit margin last year. Uh, we're now like in a very weird economy, uh, economic place. So I don't know how it's going to look this year, but last year we actually did double our profit margin uh, uh, overall uh, from our wannabe press company. Now, not from our uh, complete creative company, which is very much like profit heavy because it's all digital goods and all uh, info, in, infotainment products or info, info, uh, info, in, infopreneur products, if you will. Uh, but uh, the, the wannabe press side, 
was able to uh, become more profitable. And then I was able to push more of my profit from the complete creative into it, which is how we got like pretty much the same profit margin as we're always running. Um, just because like Wannabe Press is a very intensive company to run with art production and good physical good production. And because the, 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 a lot of the books are selling for uh, like $5 or less online on Amazon, like you end up having to have a lot of scale. It takes a long time to get that scale. So you're, you're pushing uh, a boulder up a hill by like investing a lot in ads at the beginning so that like you can make that scale in a couple of years. We had so much fun in this episode, we had to break the episode into two parts. Check back next week for part two of this exciting conversation.